Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. The media industry is a tough and competitive business to get into. But at Middlesex Community College, you don't have to spend four years and possibly $80,000 to get your qualifications to get a job in the industry. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. The media industry has always been a tough and highly competitive business to get into. Many organizations requiring industry-recognized degrees and other qualifications. And then there's the usual cost of course to get qualified. But here in Eastern Connecticut, we have a secret weapon that's been defying the odds and churning out qualified professionals for the media industry that has even got the media's attention. I visited the multi-million dollar local facility to find out more. Joining me on the podcast is Director of Centre for New Media and also Professor at Middlesex Community College, Richard Lanosi. Richard, thanks for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Brian. So we are at this amazing Centre for New Media, as we said, here at Middlesex Community College. Tell us a little bit about it, because this is a multi-million dollar investment Mm -hmm. available to the community. Yes. Well, the U.S. Department of Labor identified Central Connecticut as a hub for media production. I mean, we're just down the road. We've got 6,000 employees at ESPN. There's WWE. There's numerous television stations in the area, all in need of production personnel. And uh, so they awarded us a a $2.5 million grant with a state match to construct these beautiful facilities, but also to develop curriculum that met the needs of the workforce here in the area. So we have seven majors that students can choose from and they get an associate's degree. They are film and video production, news and sports, corporate media, audio and music production, interactive multimedia, web design and development, and our newest one, which is digital marketing. Now, the thing to make clear here as well for the people who are listening to this is this center, you know, the millions that were invested in it was created with professionals yourself and other Mm -hmm. industry professionals. And that was important, wasn't it? Yes, it was very important to have industry on board. We actually did a study as part of this grant that was the first phase is to do a a workforce development study. And uh, we already had the contacts with the industry here, and we brought them together as well as as, uh, other companies in the area. You wouldn't even think of Central Connecticut as a place of having animation houses here in Central Connecticut. They do biological and scientific animations for the universities who are doing all this research. So we were discovering new partners as well as the ESPNs and the Channel 3s, Channel 8s, etc. So it was bringing them in 
and seeing what their needs are as far as em- employment goes. What skills do people need to have to get a job in, in a two-year community college setting? And one of the organisations, when we were having a quick tour, and thank you for mm-hmm. taking me around this amazing facility, and we'll be talking more about what is actually here in just a moment, you were saying that ESPN were actually part of helping you guys to create the TV studio aspect. Mm-hmm. Explain to us why you know that happened and how that helps students who work in your studio if they then hopefully move on to somewhere like ESPN. Even with our older studio, which was in another building and the equipment was getting old, we always have very talented students and they have great professors who uh, – And the students would graduate and they would go on to places like ESPN and the ESPN ears perked up. You know, it's like our students are getting jobs when they're competing against people coming from, you know, Big Ten schools. So it kind of says something about the academics that we have here. So uh, we had ESPN on our advisory board for many years. But when we got into the project, it became clear that, that what employers wanted was they didn't want to spend a lot of time training students the technical information. They want to train them about their culture and how they do things, their workflow. But as far as the technology goes, they should be able to graduate and walk in. And they've had a problem with that in many places. And so we partnered with them and their head of operations there and engineering worked with our architects and engineers and myself to design our studios so they'd be ESPN compliant, I guess is a good way to put it. So when students learn in our studio, they are essentially learning in an ESPN studio. If you were to walk into one of their their control rooms like you just did, that's exactly what they look like. The space is the same and the workflow is very similar. Talk us through, you know, some of the aspects of the, the Center for New Media. What things do you have here? Well, we're sitting in our uh, radio studio, podcast studio that we have here. We have a television studio, a 1,000-square-foot television studio, a large control room. We have a green room, which is where you prepare the talent to go on the air. We have editing suites. We have a music recording studio. And with that, we have an isolation booth where the musicians can go. And we also have classrooms. We have three media production classrooms. We have a lecture room and a traditional classroom. So our lecture room has a video conferencing in it because I, I like to bring in people from the profession into the class. And, and some of them are in Hollywood and many of them are, are alum who are very successful out there. And to bring them into the, uh, the classroom is really exciting. So we have a large screen that's set up for video conferencing where students can interact with the guest speakers in the class, which I, which I really find exciting. I can see that you find it exciting. <laughs> and when you were talking earlier about, you know, you've been in this industry for quite a number of years. And, and again, we're going to touch on that in just a moment. How exciting is it for the students as well to, one, have such experienced individuals like yourself clearly to help guide them, but to then be able to tap into, as you were just saying, some of these alum who are out there, you know, doing the job and in some cases in very high up positions? Many college students come in and they don't know what they want to do. I mean, when I went to college and maybe the same for you, you, you walk through the door and you're not really sure what you want to do with the rest of your life. And what it does is it helps them develop the passion for working in the industry and they can decide what positions they want to focus on. And so when you when they meet the professionals, they get to see the kind of personality they 
they have, the kind of training they have, the kind of experiences they have in the workplace and identify with it and see because many of our students, I mean, let's face it, it's community college. They don't have the resources to go to a Quinnipiac University or Syracuse or an NYU and to have this right in their neighborhood. They never dreamed of it because they could never afford to go to some of these more expensive schools. And that's the point, isn't it? I mean, you know, you've got this amazing community college of which this center is part of, Mm -hmm. you know, the overall campus. And you're surrounded, as you say, here in Connecticut, and we're not the biggest state in in the US, but, you know, you've got the Yales, you've got the Quinnipiacs, yet you are pumping out these individuals who are hitting and getting jobs in the industry at the same level as these other, you know, universities here. I mean, that says a lot about what you're doing. It does. It says a lot about the industry having respect for people who like to work hard and can contribute, you know, creatively and and technically to their organizations. They're not looking at it like some industries do about, well, where is it that you went to school? Our industry doesn't really care. Can you perform? Because it's a high-stress industry. It's got deadlines. It expects a level of creativity and technical knowledge. And you don't have to spend $80,000 a year to go to a school, you can, in some cases, our college is free for most of our students. So they get this at no cost to them. You've been in the industry for a number of years. Yes. yes. Are you happy? 40 for years. 40 years, <laughs> yes. which is incredible. What would you say have been some of the biggest changes you've seen over the 40 years? Oh, wow. Well, I think one you can identify with. When I went to college, I had a radio show. And if I needed to edit something, it was on reel-to-reel tape with a razor blade and scotch tape. Mm -hmm. Today, it's all done digitally. And it wasn't all that different doing it on the video side. We used to shoot film, and we used a razor blade and airplane glue to glue the film together. Pretty much. And then we moved to tape copying, where you'd copy a chunk of tape to this tape to edit together. And then digital, just in the 90s, just transformed the whole industry. And then, as far as production goes, but by the 2000s, and particularly during COVID, we've seen that anybody can be a media producer. Anybody, you know, years ago, if you wanted to be an IMUS, you had to get onto a radio radio station, top radio station. But look at you. You can do this now and, and potentially millions of people could listen to you. Or more importantly, that you're focused on meeting the needs of your audience in your community. So, you know, you could be a world broadcaster or you could be fitting a real important niche that's needed today to communicate. So the digital revolution, and it just continues. We saw it with COVID. Now we're all working from home using this technology that we're using here. And they are taking, you know, the technology that's in our television studio and converting it into software and putting it on laptops for people and in iPads. So you can broadcast anywhere in the world to anywhere, to anybody. Despite all of that, and of course, you know, the advances in technology is probably one of the biggest things, like you were saying, to to change the industry. There is still a need, and I think there's always going to be a need for facilities like this to give that polished training and Mm -hmm. also 
not just the training of from a technical point of view, but like, you know, with journalism. I mean, you can be a writer, mm -hmm. but to be a journalist, you should really get a qualification because there's certain things yes. that you need to know because otherwise you're going to get yourself in trouble and that isn't going to change. Right. Well, we have, we have these seven majors that are associate degrees and we actually have one major. It's called digital media production. And we have seven areas of specializations denoted by a certificate. So a student comes in and they do their first semester and they're in a cohort with everybody else. They're all taking the same classes and they're all exploratory classes. But then at that end of the semester, they have to select their area of specialization with a certificate. And a student will come to me and say, well, can I just take the certificate and not take the degree? I say, well, it really doesn't do you any good because you need those English classes, you know, to write. You need to know something about science and politics and history because those are the – that's the content areas you're going to be reporting on, the, you know, whether you're a documentary filmmaker or whether you're a radio journalist or whatever it is. You need to have, you know, some college knowledge. So the minimum degree to get in the field is an associate's degree. And also, you know, getting back to the technology as well. I mean, you know, that's important because not only the software, but the ability and understanding to use that equipment. I mean, often lighting is very much like dismissed, mm -hmm. but it's a very important aspect of like video production, just as much as maybe the camera work. And people want to go in a single sort of direction of maybe just being a, a, somebody who's an expert in lighting or maybe yes. in sound or, or a camera person may want to do all of that. So this is all of these types of things that they can learn about here. Yes. Well, they, they start out, we train them first as generalists and then we train them as specialists. So somebody may say, well, I want to I be a video editor. Well, you could sit in a room with a computer and edit video, but you really need to know what went on the set and how that was lit and how it was shot and how those shots that were come out of the camera have to be put together in the edited form. So you do have to have a general understanding of what's going on, whether that's in film or television or radio or, or digital media, of all the other jobs because they all interrelate and they all collaborate. You're not an isolated person. Some people think that because digital technology makes – you know, people can just sit in a room and they can make a television show or people can uh, do it all themselves. You can't. If you want something to look professional and get sold to a very discerning public today, the lighting has to be nice. The sound has to be clear. It has to be high resolution, people expect. So and the writing has to be good. You know, and you're seeing this renaissance now in media with Netflix and Hulu and all these other streaming services that are producing phenomenal content that old Hollywood just can't compete with anymore, you know, which is why they're allowing those productions into the Academy Awards, the Emmy Awards and all. So it's are you exciting. It is. And are you also finding that you're having to break a few stereotypes as well when people come in? Because, of course, we all think we're broadcasters because we've got our, so like our phones. And, of course, our phones can do so much these days from, mm -hmm. you know, recording broadcast quality sounds to 4K resolution, so like video as well. Sure. But you still need to know what you're doing. You still really need to know what you're doing because, again, you've got a discerning public. There's lots of competition out there in programming, lots of competition for jobs, lots of competition on the digital media side of things and digital marketing. So, yes, you have to be uh, quite knowledgeable. I say to students, you have to be quite knowledgeable of the old masters, you know, the Hitchcocks. Steven Spielberg and others and their work, how they interpret narrative and story and how they present it, as well as the new styles 
that are out there, but thanks to digital technology. So there's a lot to learn. It's not easy. People come in and they just think that this is just going to happen to them. But there's a lot of work involved. And also, you do productions here as well. Talk us through some of the productions you do, because some of the productions are obviously for the college itself. You you know, you know, do news and, and other productions for the college. But also, you do produce stuff as well from, I suppose, a commercial basis would yes. be the correct term. So talk us through some of that as well, because that's, you know, obviously that helps to keep the money coming in as well, because all of this equipment, as lovely as it is does wear out and needs to be replaced or new stuff comes along and of course you know you've spent all this money so you you'll always want some of the newest stuff as well talk us through some of that well uh, i think one of the issues was back when we were in college there was a saying that uh, how do i get a job if i have no experience and the goal of the center for new media is to give the student experience not only in their classroom but in co-curricular, extracurricular activities, as well as professional experiences with internships. And that goes throughout their whole education. So we have an actual production company here at the college. It's called Center for New Media Productions, and it's run by an extremely talented award-winning producer. His name is Dan Nocera. And Dan produces videos for Fortune 500 companies, for state agencies, for municipalities, and we charge for it. And uh, they are extremely professional. We've won eight Telly Awards in the last five years. Congratulations. Uh, Telly Awards are the, the corporate media equivalent of an Emmy Award. So, and they've been won in professional categories, not student categories. And these have all been produced with students. So Dan teaches the students as a producer. He's also a teacher. He teaches them after they've taken all of these courses. Well, now here's how it's really done on a set. Here's how we do it. Here's how you relate to a client. Here's how deadlines, how you create a workflow to meet deadlines. All those other things you don't get in a classroom. The soft skills. The soft skills. Which are absolutely essential, which, of course, us oldies are always accusing, so like the younger people, of not having enough of them. <laughs> yes. And so we try and give students those uh, experiences because when, when you move into a company, whether it's an ESPN or a, a local media production company like one we have right down the road here called A-Squared Production with just a few employees, each of them have a culture. And there are expectations in that culture of behavior and expectations of how things are done and how you address problems and all. And those are things you just can't teach in a classroom. We try. You know, we explain it to them. But you actually have to be in the environment. You have to be in a production environment to really understand the expectations. You have a lot of students, obviously, that come through these doors. What are some of the comments and some of the feedback that you get? Because that's important for for you as an organization as well. So what's some of the stuff that they say to you guys? Well, it's, it's interesting. With some of our graduates, when I bring them back to speak in my careers in media class, one student's out in Hollywood. He came to Middlesex, didn't know what he wanted to do. He graduated, was extremely talented, was just born to do this. He's now an, an editor for, he was working for Shonda Rhimes Productions with this Grey's Anatomy scandal. He was their editor on those shows. And he's moved over to Netflix now. And he graduated from here and decided he wanted to go to a prestigious university. I won't name the university. And uh, he tells my students everything I learned that I use every day. I didn't learn at that big university. I learned it here at Middlesex Community College. And that makes me feel good because we're scrappy. We, uh, we teach people how to work. And they don't spend a lot of time doing anything else like you might at a four-year university. And he said, you know, he graduated. He 
went out to Hollywood and he, he's quite successful. And uh, we've heard that from other people who've moved on. But most of our students stay here in the community and they're, they're valued members of the community and have jobs at great places just here, right here in Connecticut. There are so many excellent media production companies. Obviously, having access to, as I say, a superb centre like this is is invaluable on so many levels. And you touched upon this when you said about Netflix and obviously streaming. I mean, we're seeing more of that and, and it certainly is pushing the industry in ever new directions. Because of that, are you seeing more people's interest peaking in, in wanting to be part of this this media world because, you know, there is this voracious appetite for content? Yes, there is. They want to be a part of it. And I, I get students who come in. One of the issues that, that I have with, with anybody who comes in, and it's a general public issue, issue, is that they spend a lot of time watching like Entertainment Tonight and they don't really see what goes on behind the scenes. I mean, they hear from the director and the writer. So everybody wants to be a director or a writer when they come in. I said, wait a second, there's one. But look at those credits. There are 500 people working on, on that Marvel movie that you watched on, on Friday night on Disney Plus or whatever. And those have a, a range of talents from people who paint the sets and carpenters to, like you were saying, lighting people, to camera people, to all the assistants who work there, financial people. I mean, it's such a huge range. And introducing all those different jobs really gets exciting for students. They come in thinking they're going to be a director, but they're like, oh boy, there's all these other fun things that we can do that are really interesting that play into my skill set already and that they can build on. Well, Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. We know it's an incredibly busy centre and, you know, they've got a marvellous experts like yourself and, uh, and the other people that you've mentioned. And uh, we're so fortunate to have it here as well. Great community college. This is fighting far above its weight from, uh, from what we hear and, uh, and may it continue to do so. But thank you for joining us. Richard Lenosi, Director of Centre for New Media and Professor at Middlesex Community College. Thank you, Brian. And if you're interested in a job in the media industry and don't want to rack up thousands of dollars of student debt and get trained by industry professionals, then visit the Middlesex Community College website at mxcc.edu to find out more about the courses they have available and whether you might be able to receive financial aid while you're learning too. protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. It's mulch season, so come and visit Green Valley Tree LLC. We have a variety of colors for all your landscaping needs. Buy as much or as little as you want, pick it up, or we can deliver to your door. Call Green Valley Tree LLC for all your mulch, plant health care, and tree service needs at 860-234-4041 or find us at 577 Boston Post Road, North Windham, Connecticut. We are family-owned and fully licensed. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently, sponsored by... Every number tells a story. A true story. 
Connecticut by the Numbers explores breakthroughs and challenges, issues, and answers. Behind the headlines, across the state, follow the numbers. Connecticut news that counts. ctnumbers.news it's less than two weeks since 19 children and two teachers were killed in a mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas. For Connecticut lawmakers and gun violence prevention advocates, it echoes painful memories of Sandy Hook. They say Congress must move quickly on gun safety reform. Here's Emily Scott from the Connecticut News Service. Connecticut members of Congress and gun violence prevention advocates held a news conference calling for legislative action after a gunman killed 19 students and two teachers in Texas. U.S. Senators Chris Murphy and Richard Blumenthal, both Democrats, said they've spoken with Republican lawmakers trying to find common ground on gun safety reform. Murphy says since the Uvalde tragedy, he's heard more colleagues express interest in changes to gun laws and support for mental health services than at any point since the Sandy Hook school shooting in Connecticut nearly 10 years ago. We are going to work every single minute of every single day over the course of this week and next week to try to get enough of our Republican colleagues to yes. I hope they are moved by what they have witnessed in the way that the rest of this country has been moved. The House Judiciary Committee will attempt to advance a series of gun safety measures known as the Protecting Our Kids Act. Those policies include raising the purchasing age for semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21 and requiring background checks on all gun sales. Poe Murray is co-founder of the Newtown Action Alliance and was a neighbor of the Sandy Hook gunman who shot and killed 26 people, a majority of whom were elementary school children. Murray says after the latest tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, she thinks Americans will no longer tolerate federal inaction. A decade after Sandy Hook, mass shootings have skyrocketed and gun deaths have increased by 30 percent. It's unacceptable. It's not too late for congressional Republicans to act. They have an opportunity to join the right side of history. The time is now for them to act. Senators Murphy and John Cornyn, a Texas Republican, had a virtual meeting scheduled to discuss a basic framework for gun reform legislation that could receive enough bipartisan support to surpass the 60-vote filibuster threshold. Background check loopholes and red flag laws were among the expected topics. I'm Emily Scott with Connecticut News Service. U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal announced $461,000 in federal funding for United Services, Inc. in Killingly to expand critically needed mental health care services in northeastern Connecticut. The $461,000 in congressionally directed spending will allow United Services, Inc., a nonprofit community behavioral health center serving 21 towns in northeastern Connecticut, to integrate primary care services within the agency's behavioral health offerings at its Dayville and Mansfield Center outpatient clinics. With integrated primary care, United Services clients will receive health care that addresses both their mental and physical health in one location. The agency provides more than 30 programs, including outpatient mental health services for adults, children and families, substance abuse treatment, family programs, crisis services and the region's only domestic violence program. The agency served more than 3,500 people last year. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, before the State Bond Commission approved another $20 million in funding for the New London State Peer Redevelopment, Connecticut Port Authority Chair David Kuros said it would be the last time they would 
be asking the state for money for the project. The commission approved another $20 million in bond funds for the project, bringing its total funding up to $255.5 million, including $180.5 million in state money. Two members of the commission voted against the additional funds, State Representative Holly Cheeseman of East Lyme and State Senator Henry Martin of Bristol, citing concerns with how the project has ballooned from an initial cost estimation of $93 million in 2019 to what the Port Authority now says will cost about $250 million. Cora said at a Port Authority board meeting recently, the additional $5 million included in the bonding request is an owner's contingency, which will add to the $7 million still remaining from the $11 million contingency built into earlier rounds of funding. In the day this week, voters in Waterford failed to overturn the representative town meeting decision to enter into a 15-year contract with Eversource to supply natural gas to two town buildings. Voters who were able to vote through the absentee ballot or in-person did not meet the 20% turnout threshold under the town's charter. That means that Republican First Selectman Rob Brule can sign the contract with Eversource that will require the town to heat the police department and public safety building exclusively with natural gas until 2037. Local residents felt that Eversource was dictating the terms of what energy supply the town could use and the contract conditions. The town made the decision to switch to natural gas as two oil tanks used currently for heating the two town buildings are coming to the end of their life and would have required a substantial investment to replace them versus using natural gas. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.